Phyllis Hall was a nurse at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, and she was on duty November 22, 1963, the day JFK was assassinated. Her account of that day is riveting and at times disturbing, and she sat down with Andrew McRae to talk about it on our latest episode of The Scenic Route. So you started working at Parkland then when? In December of 1957. Right. So you'd been there for a while then. So right. Yeah. I, I had been there uh, eight years. All right. When you, at the hospital, then, were you almost always working in emergency, or what types of things did you do at Parkland? Uh, the first four years, I worked in emergency exclusively, and uh, I took some time off, worked part-time while I, the children were getting old enough to go to school, and then I uh, transferred over to the outpatient clinics, and that's where I was on November 11th of 1963. Okay. Now, I know one of the things I read from your biography was uh, Marina Oswald. You helped, you were around her when she had her pregnancy, is that right? Uh, yes. Marina uh, came to us just nearly her due date. She was, uh, had not had any prenatal care. And the lady that they were living with, Ruth Payne, lived out in Irving. I was working in the obstetrics clinic that day, and we heard there was a woman who spoke Russian coming in. We were all very curious because we'd never heard Russian before, being Texans, you know. But uh, Miss Payne brought Marina in that day, and I was the one that got to go in with the doctor while he did the examination, and so that's how I saw her. All right, all right. And so that was really your only meeting with her then? Right. Yes, that's right. All right. Anything you remember from that? Of course, at that time, you didn't think much about it, probably. No. I mean, she was just a very pregnant lady, and... uh, quiet because of course she didn't understand us and we didn't understand her only what mrs payne was telling us yeah yeah so you were able to communicate a little then it sounds like well I sm- we smiled a lot and, and nodded heads <laughs> <laughs> good good well you, take us up then to uh, november and that day in november when president kenny's going to be here in town i'm interested you obviously probably knew he was in town but did you think much about it or what, what all was going to be going on that day when you went to work Well, back in the 60s, Dallas was not very Democrat-friendly. You know, there had been some problems when Adelaide Stevenson had been here, and so uh, we were all aware that he was going to be here that day. Um, Things were a little more quiet. Uh, The emergency room, I'm told, before I went over, uh, had fewer people that day because it was a nice sunny day, and they wanted to see the motorcade and the president, and that's understandable. And so on my lunch hour, I just kind of wandered over and was talking to the nurse on the triage desk who I'd worked with previously in, in the emergency room. And um, it was around 12, 12.30, something like that. And the supervisor came from the back of the emergency room where her office was, which was facing out on Harry Hines. And uh, she said, there's been uh, an accident in the... Uh, president's motorcade and they're on their way well by that time I mean the doors just nearly flew off they were there and um, I kind of walked over to the door that led to the back hallway there was a lot of construction going on in the emergency so the normal pattern was kind of out of sync with what I was used to but I watched Mayor Cabell and his wife go through and then uh, Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird uh, and the doctors were trying to get Lyndon on the cart because they thought he was having another heart attack. And then uh, Governor Conley came in and he was gravely wounded with chest wound and 
his lung had collapsed and every time he breathed of course it was just a bloody mist coming out of his chest and then um, in in the meantime the uh, somebody had come in and said we need a cart out here and w that just usually meant a lady had come to the hospital too late and was having her baby out there so the resident who was working the obstetrical unit that day put in a, a precipitation car, um, pack on a cart and went out to get him or went out to see and um, of course what he saw was the mortally wounded president and Mrs. Kennedy and she was still laying across his head. She didn't even want anybody to look at his head. So it's my understanding that he just lift, told her, he said, if you'll move, I'll get him out of there and just lifted him onto the cart and then brought him in to uh, trauma one. And as the cart went past, there was this gentleman, I, some sort of security that had been with the motorcade, um, with the whitest shirt I've ever seen. I can just, it was just dazzling white. I don't know what that caught my eye. But he came to the door and he was holding up this huge gun. Excuse me. <clears throat> and he looked at me, of course I was in uniform, and he said, he took me by the arm and he says, we need you back here. So I wasn't gonna argue with him with that big gun. And of course, I was still knew exactly what to do back there for trauma of this sort. But, uh, you know, there was nothing we could do with him. We did all the normal things to try to get him back, but there wasn't enough brain tissue left in the cranial cavity. And uh, one of the doctors, I think, said that he saw some agonal breathing, which is ineffective breathing as you're dying. And... Um, he was very bluish gray and his eyes were fixed and dilated and his mouth was slightly open and uh, so um, like I say if people looked at emergent our little emergency trauma room back then they would probably laugh and be wonder why how we did anything because it didn't have all the modern equipment of course that's available now yeah. I'm interested as all that was going on did the full gravity of it, was it hitting you at all at that point? I mean, no. You just, you ha have to just kind of put yourself away from what you're actually seeing so that you're more effective in the treatment and care you give. So, no. I mean, I knew it was the president, and I knew when I saw Cabell and Johnson and all those people being brought in, who they were, but it just didn't register because they were out of their normal environment. Right. You, there was not. Then how long did things go on in trauma one? Because you said that it was pretty apparent that that he was going to die or was dying, and it was, and you knew there was not anything you could do. How long did it? Were you there? I, guess? Uh, I think I was in the emergency room a little bit short of forty-five minutes, and there was quite a commotion going on out in the hallway because. Uh, the people who were the security, two different agencies, and I'm not sure, maybe the FBI or who the other one was, but they were being very loud and very confrontive and almost coming to fisticuffs over who was going to stay with the president. And by that time, I think every doctor in the house had come down there, and this was a very small trauma room compared to what you have now. So um, there wasn't anything to do, and I, 
did not think about them just closing all the clinics down, but I was thinking that I needed to get back into the clinics to take care of my afternoon clinics. So as I walked out the door, the supervisor asked me if I would help get Governor Conley ready to go up to surgery. So I went up there into his room and the, he was he was ready to go to surgery at that time, but I did help him take help take him up to the operating room. At that point, how was he doing? Because he obviously had a bad wound. Oh, he was, you know, he was so frightened, and I'm sure that they had given him some things maybe to calm him down as much as they could before I was there. But when he first came in, I mean, he was really, well, this is a terrible explanation, but it was, you you see a mad bull uh, kind of pawing the ground and bellowing, that's what he was doing. Of course, he wasn't able to breathe very much, and I'm sure I would have thought I was going to die with all that going on with me. But um, they had gotten him calmed a little bit, so. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested with the, the president then. Did they come in and have last rites at that point, or what happened then uh, there in Trauma 1? They did, but I wasn't there at the time. Okay. I just read that in the paper. The priest that they brought, uh, believes from St. Anne's, he would always come in if needed last rites for anybody so yes there were last rites given yeah yeah the um you went up with Conley. then what happened uh, after that did you stay with him for a while no they took course took him on in right on into the operating room i couldn't go in there because i didn't have the right clothes on but no i went back over to my clinics and uh, i was going to try to call my husband because there were no cell phones, <laughs> maybe some walkie-talkies, but the press and whoever the Secret Service men were had taken over every phone in the hospital. And back then, you have to realize, if you had two phones on a unit, that was a lot. So I couldn't call him, and uh, I don't know why I didn't think that he would know to go pick up the children at the uh, preschool after work but my normal time to get off was at 4:30, and we had to wait until we all had security clearance and our little cards uh, before we could leave the hospital so I didn't leave until around 7 uh-huh. then uh-huh. in the evening and so they were the secret service had to come and it, what it make sure that you were you belonged there or what were they doing uh, no it was the hospital security uh-huh. Okay. That was doing that. And just making sure. Then did the when did the hubbub at the hospital finally die down? Because you mentioned, I mean, I'm sure it was a crush. Of, could you, could the hospital really even function? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we were used to trauma, big trauma. And being a, I don't know if it had the designation then of a trauma one hospital, but it, it certainly does now. But um, that's just your fairly common day. Yeah. Yeah. So it functions quite well. Yeah, Give people an idea of how far we're right now in Dealey Plaza. How far away was the hospital in Parkland from here? It's about a quarter to a half mile, I believe, so roughly. It was, it was no wonder that once you heard that they were they were there. It right. Made, yeah, it happened very quickly. If you stand here and look out the west window, you can see the, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested. Uh, other things that happened that day that I might not know to to ask you about, or just things that stick in your mind, because I'm sure. I mean, it was obviously one of the biggest events of uh, of the the last fifty years. Yeah. Uh, they usually ask about Mrs. Con- uh, 
Kennedy and what she was saying, what she was doing, and how she looked. And she was just totally in shock. She was just staring. She stood at the foot of the carriage and kept her hand on one of his feet. And uh, at some point, the supervisor came in because it was such a ruckus in that room. They were trying to get chest tubes in and do what we did back then for emergencies and asked her if she would like to have a seat out in the hallway. And she says, she just was still just looking off in space. She says, no, I'm staying with him. So, um, and that was it. That was all that I know that she said while I was there. And so she was there in the room the whole whole time that you were there. Mm -hmm. What happened then after that day? Uh, uh, You continued on working at Parkland, I'm guessing, for quite a while? Yes, I left uh, Parkland in 65 All right. and uh, went out into private medicine. Um, well, you know, days just went on as usual. Things were quieter for a while, and um, that was the main topic. And in the meantime, uh, the people that had worked there, we were getting crank phone calls and mail threatening us and families and threatening us and saying we were part of a conspiracy and of course that's unusual because uh, employees names and phone numbers are never getting out but that was going on and all that had to be turned over to uh, the FBI or something so um, so you were even getting that type of harassment I had uh, one phone call saying I was a part of conspiracy and that we had, uh, that he actually was alive and trying to get out of the United States or something like that. And he was, we had two or three floors, I think, on the top of the hospital at that time that were just framed in. They didn't have any patients up there and that he was up there in a room and, or that he was in a vegetable state but still alive, you know, things like that. Hmm. And then usually people want to know when it dawned on me what had I had been part of mm-hmm. and uh, it was when they were taking um, the train that took his body across the United States and uh, we were at home watching when that happened and it just hit me really hard you know the and especially I think when it showed Mrs. Kennedy with the two little children and that's just kind of a parent or a mother instinct I just thought one thing that was rather curious, I was in there when um, Dr. Clark pronounced him dead, and Dr. Clark isn't with us anymore, but he was a very imposing neurosurgeon, wore glasses and had very stern eyes, and he was very tall, and he strode. He never walked. He just strode in these long steps, and his white coattail just flying back and forth, but he came in and he he did a a check of the president and he strode and never missed a step didn't stop he just came to mrs kennedy looked at her and he said madam your husband is dead and strode out and i was my mouth was just wide open but that was just him and so that was the doctor that pronounced him right yeah. What what happened after that then? Did they, uh, well, I kind of followed him out because, well, he he'd been pronounced at that point, and so um, 
you know, there wasn't anything anybody was going to do. And then, of course, there was a big brouhaha about him being removed from the hospital because there's a law in Texas and perhaps most states that the body should not have been removed till after an autopsy was done. And I had my feelings about the Warren report, which are not positive. Because no. I see when I, I, it's been a long time since I read that report and I kind of went back and reviewed it a few weeks ago, but you know, so many things had been changed that what we saw at Parkland was not what was reported at the time. So. Well, that's about the highlights, I think. Uh, my favorite thing to do here at the museum is to speak to uh, high school and junior high history students. Of course, most of those students, their parents weren't even alive back then. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Scenic Route. Remember, you can catch all of our daily broadcasts, find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and much more at AmericanCountryside.com. Thank you.